0: Dior talks. The famous case uh, for me is about changing the way we present a woman in fashion. More like a subject, not uh, as an object. The women are represented in many different ways, uh, not only one way. That is very important for me. It's also what I try to make with my work in
1: Dior. There are many elements in the female case. In this episode of Dior Talks, I'm talking to an icon of 80s culture, Maripol. She's been hailed as the godmother of instant photography, and over the course of her incredible career to date, she's styled the likes of Grace Jones, Madonna and Debbie Harry. She's directed The Message, a film on the life and work of Keith Haring, and she's also the producer of the cult indie film Downtown 81, starring the legendary Jean-Michel Basquiat. Maripol is an outspoken, audacious rule-breaker in everything she does. Simply put, there's no one quite like her. I'm Charlotte Jansen. I'm a journalist and the author of Girl on Girl, a book exploring photography in the age of the female gaze. You're listening to Deal Talks, conversations on the female gaze. I'm just trying to get my head around all the things you've done and all the incredible people you've worked with. And, you know, just you've had your fingers in so many different pies over the years. And I guess, I mean, how do you define yourself? If you just described yourself at that time as a jewellery designer. So is that kind of... What is the anchor of your practice in a way? What's what's the sort of role of fashion been like for for you? You know, you started your career and you, you came to New York when you were just twenty, right? And you were a year later, you were working at Fiorucci, and then you became the artistic director there. Um, so I guess fashion has been a baseline almost for your for your work, and it's, it it seems like your jewelry connected you with so many so many people, so many characters at the time. Was that? has fashion been a sort of, I guess, a form of communication for you? Or?
0: Actually, um, I think it starts when you're a little girl and you're fascinated by the closet of your mom. And mm-hmm. I grew up with three <laughs> brothers And I had to learn how to play, you know, uh, little soldiers. And my father was actually a colonel in the French army. My grandfather, they did all the wars, you know. But I was always the feminine person in the house being the little girl and uh, stealing my mom high heels at a young age, like uh, talking about four years old, you know, not talking about 15 years old and um always fascinated by um, by fashion yes so it's in me but yep. then i did the school of beaux arts so mm-hmm. i actually in the first years because i went to new york and uh, in the first years you study um a lot And I think it anchored in me that in order to have a whole, you have to know drawings, you have to know photography, you have to know film, you have to know um, architecture, which I also learned. And uh, and it's part of what they teach you, you know, academically. But then I came to New York because I fell in love with a photographer from uh, Italy, Switzerland, (laughs) Italian part, Lugano. And I had met him in Paris, and uh, we escaped for a few months to New York. I never knew that I was going to be magneted back to that city. We came for six months, and he came to Nantes because I was a student in a school there. And he asked my parents permission to take me away. It was very modern, but it was actually, my parents said, we won't let you go before we know who you're living with, which was legit. And then I'm propelled in that city. And of course, I'm influenced by a photographer and I become his muse because I'm the one who is conveniently posing for him because (laughs) we're here. And then, uh, but I'm also uh, doing my own fashion because I found the fashion horrific back then. 76, I arrived. Well, yeah. And, well, it was, it was, I'm not saying it was horrific. It was my version (laughs) of horrific. But you could just look at pictures from the 70s fashion magazine. And I was almost like a little, you know, rebel, punk, French, you know, whatever, coming there. And everybody would say to me, because of the way I dressed, I guess, You must be a stylist or you must be a designer. And I kept saying, no, 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 I'm not. I was doing a lot of uh, drawings and little paintings and I was not even picking up a camera. But um, my boyfriend gave me a Polaroid in 1977 for Christmas. And then I was making stuff because I was not finding anything. So I started to make accessories, yes. And one day somebody picked me up in a club and asked me for 300 pairs of the earring that I was wearing. And I was... uh, person Mirella from Fiorucci so that's how it started then at when I was 20 when I went to Japan at the beginning it's actually Elio Fiorucci who said here take a ticket and some cash and go around the world and come back with a collection they never had a collection of jewelry before they had a collection of a lot of stuff but that
1: really so that's when you went your own way I mean how out there were they like what what kind of things were you making at that time that were so
0: well I was already making I was making a lot of uh, uh, things Uh, I was I had these things about the um, uh, using material not in their purpose so plumbing material which is a rubber uh, Mm -hmm. tubing material chain material uh, industrial um, coil metal to, to just name a few huh? uh
1: quite punk quite yeah industrial material yes stuff. exactly
0: which is what you know the new wave and the punk and
1: right that became part of the visual language completely then later later on that kind of more harsh
0: yeah we do like i would do oh oh here is oh my hair needs bobby pin oh yeah let me make a necklace bobby pin necklace boom and there was a <laughs> show in a museum last year in new york the museum of of sex,
1: oh, I love that museum
0: also when you 're that young you're interested in a lot of other things so my 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 pieces became almost fetishist, you know, I had like I had a boyfriend who was very much into s So one day for revenge, I made a belt, which was a whip. And it was a tube where I put a bunch of little skinny like rubber thing and he became a whip. <laughs> you know, it's like, hello, imagination. So yes, I would define, but not really labeled as a jewelry designer.
1: And so were well, most of those at the beginning, you were taking a lot of the pictures in your loft Um what, what was your loft like? I mean, what did it look like? What was it? What was the atmosphere like? Did you have people coming through all the time? Like, who was sort of hanging out there?
0: Yes, but actually, uh, a lot of time, it's my Polaroid was with me, and I would go a lot out. And he was with me anywhere. Even when I traveled, and he was with me when I go to clubs, and he was with me during the day. Yeah. So I have, like, a lot of different categories of my Polaroid, and including at some point when I had a baby. So then it becomes a family project, you know.
1: Um,
0: So basically, uh, I wasn't really a a fashion photographer. But if I would go to a a, a fashion show like Andre Walker, I actually took pictures of his fashion show and his models. But I I wasn't labeled like that. It was more like having uh, my iPhone of now. That's how I compare it, you know. Yeah. For me, the Polaroid is exact. It was exactly the same than the iPhone, except I wasn't shooting a lot of pictures. I was always sure of my shot, and never, I never wanted to take more than few.
1: And that's the thing. I mean, you couldn't necessarily because you still don't know what's going to come out, right? You had to still kind of master yes. And it. also,
0: well, they came out really fast, but they also uh, they was expensive. It's not yeah. like I can could shoot like a dog picture, you know. Talking about the loft, the loft was an open space with 26 windows. It used to be an old sweat factory right on Broadway in Noho, north of Houston. And it was an amazing space, which was completely raw. There was just a sink. And it used to be the headquarters of of, um, uh, Angela Davis of the Black Panther. Oh wow! it was a lot of flyers and stuff and our building was kind of a squatting building you know there used to be an illegal drug den illegal gambling den whatever illegal whatever it used to be like so weird but as photographer and back in the day we paid a lot of rent for then you know uh, close to a thousand dollar which was stupid because we had money to fix a loft we should have just bought something you know but we didn't
1: yeah you don't think of it when you're young and free exactly yeah <laughs> um and so you know people were come, would come by there was it did you have like an open door or were you more like you say you would meet people
0: Yes, back then it was great. You did not call people to come by. People would be under my building and they would just buzz and come in. Oh. And then I had people like Jean-Michel Basquiat lived with us for a while because he didn't really know where to go. and wow. uh, then there was a lot of kids that I would rescue because I didn't want them to be going around at four am after the mat club, you know. Yeah. and I would have the, we we always had this beautiful platform, it was carpet. And then they would crash there. And we had parties. We had after parties. We had parties after the club. There is one where Jean Michel did our portraits. You know, at six a.m. on the big, big screens of paper. There is uh, uh, there is wow. piano, fashion shows, concert. Uh, it was it was big. It was a big lot.
1: Yeah, it sounds incredible. Yeah, it
0: was party. Was Madonna, Madonna and Sean before they got married. You know, like, it was. It was like that. It was. It was like yes, yeah. Actually, one time I remember that uh, uh, Andy Warhol came in. Andy came. Andy came to the roof a lot. I had a roof party, and with uh, Nick Rhodes, he can confirm that Nick would come on my roof, and I would project movies, and we had parties up there, but and with food and drinks.
1: And- An incredible time, and I mean, I think that period, like all those figures that you mentioned, those people that you know were your friends you you they were hanging out with you and uh, you know they're legendary figures now I guess a lot of them and, and that they continue to sort of fascinate us so much even people that were nowhere near New, New York or not born at that time or I mean was it, it it seems like it was such a creative time such a kind of free time where everything was possible Yes,
0: it was because of what I said, because you you could live there for cheap. So you didn't have to worry about paying rent and money and stuff. So when this is happening, then what's happening is that you could just like freely be creative and then in exchange too.
1: So everyone was doing things for everyone.
0: Yeah. I produced some underground films, which were purchased by the MoMA last year.
1: You produced um, a film, of course, The Downtown 81, that... That do Not only the
0: one, but then there is also... And that
1: was shot in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was shot in
0: 1980, 81 in the winter. It turned 20 on the set. And now it's a cult film and it just came out in VOD for the US market. And it's a long road, you know, for me. It's like making it alive.
1: I mean, things are so different now. You know, you're speaking about, especially if we think about, you know, gentrification and how that's affecting, I I just can't imagine, even like you say, the kind of exchange of creativity between everyone, between artists, between designers.
0: I love to think that there was a movement in the 30s in, in France where, you know, all the surrealists were friends and all, I mean, there might have been competition back then too, but, you know think about the table in yeah in you know in Montparnasse and everybody mm. going dancing there and, then.
1: and do you miss those times then like you know thinking back
0: I lived it I don't I don't miss it no.
1: yeah you lived it in, in to f- f- full throttle it sounds like as well and and you've got the Polaroids of course yeah it, le-
0: it left me yeah it le- exactly I was just going to say it left me with an archive which is not an easy thing to take care of you know uh, yeah. So sometimes I'm like, <laughs> because when you have when you have prints, you have negative. You could scan your negative as scan Polaroid, but a Polaroid is the negative, you know, and it's not the same as a regular photography.
1: Of course. And, and so, at what point did the photography for you evolve into something more? I guess not necessarily serious, but you realised, okay, this is more than me just you know taking some random pictures. I'm actually doing this with if not a purpose but you were doing it in a kind of at least you know you had some kind of form or structure to what you were doing you were taking pictures regularly you were making sure you were looking after them what was it that at what point did you realize yeah I'm this is something that's part of my practice as an artist and I'm gonna you know keep doing this and and take care of this
0: well uh, if I could say the other way around is that people saw in me Something that it could be, and this goes for Maya Grazia, meaning I did take pictures all the time and still, I think I'm a portraitist. I'm interesting in people, you know? And what's better to get somebody close to you with a lens which is not aggressive and it's very intimate and it's like, look at me straight, look in the viewer, uh, okay, sorry, I'm going to have to flash you because it works well with lights. And uh, and then I get, and I did a lot of things in back and white too. So all over these years, I did take portraits a lot. Of- in a way, it could be that I am more of a witness of my time, mm-hmm. the same than, you know, people like, you know, Man Ray would take pictures in, in his time. And the best tool was a Polaroid for that.
1: Yeah. And it remains, you know, it remains such a popular form of photography. I think there's a great nostalgia for yes, it now.
0: But I, 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 and I forgot one thing is who was my godfather is Andy Warhol. Mm. I actually own a, a picture a the print of Anton Parrish, a photographer that took Andy picture taking a a picture with this Polaroid, and I cherish that picture very much because wow. uh, when I was in the bozar I studied popism, and uh, I would go and see his movies were playing at the theaters. I was so naive; I didn't even know that most of the actors were transvestite, you know, but um, or transsexual. Uh, but then, when I met Andy, it was a big moment in my life, and because. It was very nice. It was very nice, and he was a very sweet.
1: And he was there, you said he'd come to your loft, he'd come to parties at the, on the roof. and
0: Yes, and he came to the store that I had, Meripolitan, that I opened in 1984, uh, and he would buy lots of my jewelry, and then in Fiorucci, he was always signing his magazine, and then uh, he put me in a magazine when Madonna was on the cover, personally came to me and said I want you to be and he gave me the old page and he was there uh, during the shoot for, you know my portrait because <laughs> that's how I am I'm just like
1: yeah you're you're underground
0: so I was. Uh, so it happened one night that I had a call from, uh, from Debbie Harry and she said um, hi it's Deb I'm with the people of Valentino and they want to talk to you and I said uh deb deb and she goes yeah and, I, and then i called and she said here yeah. and then she put me on with uh, francesca and uh, francesca put me on with uh, maria grazia and the next day i was going to the old factory on union square to meet uh, the designers
1: but as a woman did you f- did you feel that you experienced any sort of sexism or was it difficult for you to progress and i mean i guess it's different as well when you're in a creative community where people are you know more fluid more open-minded um but did you you know inside or outside of that circle experience kind of any obstacles as a woman
0: no 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 I was respected I had ideas I was uh, I worked in, in you know like uh, um, impresario yeah that's the name yeah so I was very much respected you know by club people like in Schrager or Steve Hubert Everyone. Yet sometimes I did feel the vibes like, you know, this is a very difficult world that you're putting your feet in. And I would look at them and shrug my shoulder, and like, so. You know, there was a thing that I did to change that by adopting a look which was very much masculine. When I think about it, I would go to the Dominican barber on uh, Columbus when I lived uptown, and I would tell him, shave my head, meaning cut it short.
1: Wow. Well. And so, do you think maybe unconsciously that was a way of like. Yes,
0: that was a way for me, yes. And I would wear, and I got into this huge stock of jackets, 1960s, like rocker jackets. And I bought a huge stock that I, after that, I you know put stuff on and then sold them at Fiorucci but uh, it, it was was wearing that in stilettos but it was always masculine feminine for me masculine feminine
1: mixing it up I mean I think that kind of speaks to the sort of political power of fashion that's kind of inherent in you know the way we dress and the way we express ourselves it's another form of you know creative expression of course and I mean was that a vision that when you first met Maria Grazia did you did you two share that kind of vision like did you connect on a personal and artistic level when you first met how was that kind of how did that relationship begin between the two of you because you had you know you have you've had similar experiences in a way I guess in terms of the work um, that you've done.
0: Yes. Oh, you think? Well, that's nice of you. I think uh, she reconciled me with fashion in a way. <laughs> we had this was my greatest like simple dinner face to face with her and connecting and she, I think it it was pretty obvious that we needed to uh, talk and make sure that she was not landing you know in difficult territory in a way not knowing the language for example not knowing French Mm -hmm. but I speak fluent Italian and that's something that I cherish I learned Latin for eight years and I think that helped a lot but my boyfriend was Italian my boss was Italian back then Elio and I embrace Italian with all my love Mm. so um yes so we connected in a great way of you know I think I didn't have to tell her anything. Maria Grazia knew perfectly, but there was this youth collect connection, you know, to to try to to you know how do you call it? You put you broom, you broom something, and you have like your little magician, and you come in like a little, like you know the beloved little witch we watch on television when we were like young, and and you just like boo, you know, and it works. It's feminine and it's. And it's great. It
1: really does. And how did it feel for you when she, because when she um, did start working at Dior in 2016, she asked you to take her um, first official kind of portrait photograph that was then used for all the official, you know, announcements and stuff. And it was shot in Paris, um, you know, in this iconic location as well.
0: Yeah, it uh, it was shot the day before it was announced publicly. And so it was a big secret, but there was only, I, uh, it was only her and her parties. And uh, we crossed the street and we went to the Tuileries. And then she was a bit nervous. And uh, that night was the last uh, Defile Valentino, which I attended. And, uh, and I said, you know, Maria Grazia, it's only you and me. It was so great. Did. You know, I must have taken only six pictures, six shots, maybe eight to the max. Yeah, I got an email from my brother and, and, it was announced in all the newspapers.
1: Yeah, and it's such a beautiful picture. I think it speaks so much of both of you, you know, the, the, obviously the the rapport and the relationship you have, um, but also of her, like the for intimacy, her to invite you. Yes, yeah, yes. exactly. The intimacy, the kind of humble nature.
0: And she chose, she chose, she chose to have me because of the, and then, uh, you know, I took pictures of her family and she, she she just loves it. And And then she asked me that night at dinner, I would love you to work for me. And that's how it happened. I was one of the first photographers to do this collaboration on the first collection with my friend, uh, Janet Bickman. And she said, oh, what do I know about fashion? I've always took like hip hop and things, you know, street kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think I'm getting the impression that Maria Grazia attracts a really you know, unique and individual and, and brilliant kind of creative women who exactly are not necessarily working in the conventional fashion world. Like, you know, you also, you know, by no means have a kind of conventional approach to anything that you do. You've kind of blazed your own, like, path. Um, tell me about the Polaroids that you've taken then for Dior, because after that, after you started to work with um, Maria Grazia, one of the things you've done is is take Polaroids backstage, What's it like shooting in that kind of environment? I mean, it must be chaos, frenzy. Yes, So
0: the first thing was back chaos, chaos backstage. Uh, backstage, the first one is actually take front stage. If you see the mini film on, on my site uh, uh, of you know Rihanna and. God. And I remember that I had the sprained ankle and they <laughs> ankle. rushed me up front. <laughs> Thank God I had my son with me who was assisting me. But you know, Pol- Polaroid is okay. You just got to snap, 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 you know, snap, snap, snap. It was fun. It was fun. I mean, wh- whatever, you know, it was fun. It was fun.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the role of sexuality in your work. Cause you alluded to um, it earlier when you said, you know, you're kind of, you had a boyfriend that was into S&M and, and, um, you know, I know that you've, You've taken also some you know, more erotic kind of Polaroids that I believe were published as well as a book.
0: The exchange was between my boyfriend and I or eventually when we broke up with other people. But I did a lot of self-portrait too. And I would cut out a lot of these pictures. And uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm an exhibitionist, but aren't we all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, again, it's the context, isn't it? Because it's a private space where you're taking it you know primarily for yourself i guess is a kind of empowering
0: yeah exactly and then a picture doesn't have to be sexual to be sexy don't you think it can be an evocation of of sexuality
1: yeah
0: it could be uh, look look at robert mapleford for example right. finding sex he was tired of doing this all and then he actually started to shoot lisa lyon which was a bodybuilder yeah. look at his flowers look
1: at the flowers yeah
0: Incredible.
1: I mean, almost as erotic as his, you know, pictures of of men.
0: Exactly, exactly. So for me, when I shoot a lot of these young models, they they are very much programmed, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them, it doesn't seem like you could get anything out of them, not even a smile. So I say to them, look, relax, it's only a Polaroid, but please give me your soul and you should see the difference when I say that.
1: One of the questions that I, w- I was just intrigued to know also because obviously this is about fashion and, and, and what it means now. And, and it's it, as, as we've touched on briefly about the kind of responsibility um, as well of like taking someone's picture and, you know, creating a, like as you do, you've created a kind of, I guess, a whole culture around what what you do that, gives a certain idea or certain feeling what is beauty for you what do you find you know the most beautiful in people um or in the world and i guess also what
0: defines beauty i mean sorry what defines beauty why, why does trend go from you know centuries are so different why does a, a beautiful curvy woman back in the 1600s, <laughs> yeah. is the muse of the moment when the skinny wave becomes so... And you find beauty in a mark on your face. You find beauty... And I think Maria Grazia has seen that by taking a uh, different uh, model attitude and working with different women. But um, they could be... Um, beauty everywhere I think you could find beauty in ugly <laughs> even because what is what is the definition of ugly would define that
1: right and I mean I think that's what's so incredible about you know the the looks that you um, have have shaped you know from that era it was an era that completely overturned the traditional ideas of like feminine and masculine beauty and feminine stereotypes and you know the fact you're using those heavy industrial materials in your work is quite strong statement I think about you know what can be beautiful even in that even in the objects even in the materiality of those things and then wearing that and, and claiming that and it can still be beautiful in a feminine way but it's a new kind of femininity it's a new vision of what we can and you know some of the women you've worked with like 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 Grace Jones um are so inspirational because it just creates a whole new um way of being you know a new possibility for women to you know not have to dress in this kind of micro mini or have the perfect body or the this or that um and still and still appreciate themselves you know so there's one last question um that I want to finish with which is um who is your favorite photographer?
0: Oh, you know, that's interesting because I, I couldn't even say if there is one. But I did look at the list carefully and I checked all of the one. And I actually like a lot Sarah Moon, but I love Nan too. She's a friend. I love Nan work. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. Deborah Touberville. I love Deborah Tuberville
1: work. Yeah, she, I mean... You know her work? Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's interesting because Maria Grazia obviously worked with her when she was at Valentino as well. Thank you so much for...
0: No, please, thank you. It was very sweet. Uh,
1: it was really interesting. And yeah, you have so many... I mean, yeah, you've just done such amazing work. And I mean, you're still doing, I'm sure. I um, look forward to, to seeing what happens. This only a beginning,
0: This pandemic actually makes us reflect a lot on ourselves
1: and as artists.